0: Greetings and welcome to the Animal Wellness Podcast, the official podcast of Animal Wellness Action. Hi, I'm your host, Joseph Grove. On this show, we talk about animals from the perspective of people who care about them and have the ability to improve their lives by influencing culture and supporting laws and regulations accordingly. To stay up to date with all of our news and information, subscribe to this podcast, receive our free newsletters and more, visit animalwellnessaction.org. Wayne Pacelli and Marty Irby are with me today. Wayne is the president and founder of Animal Wellness Action. Marty is its executive director and chief lobbyist in D.C. Every show, we like to provide our listeners with an update on our work on Capitol Hill. And for that, we turn to Marty. Marty, what do you have going on on Capitol Hill now?
1: Well, it's a busy day today. Great to be here again with you all, as always. We continue to work on the top four or five priorities that we think have a good shot at getting done. And this Congress, mind you, that the Congress ends at the end of this year in 2022, so we have less than six months left to get anything done. The FDA Modernization Act, which has been a top priority for us that was conceived by our organization and some others collaborating with us as well, has gotten past the U.S. House of Representatives and now is in the final package that passed the House that would reauthorize the FDA's user fees. It is also in the same Senate bill, the counterpart in the upper chamber that has passed the committee but has not passed the full Senate yet. There are some slight differences in the language between the two bills, but at the end of the day, the FDA Modernization Act would end animal testing mandates at FDA and make them optional. Now they're doing completely unnecessary animal testing on so many occasions and costing billions of dollars from the average American and from these corporations. So it saves money, it saves time to market, and we believe we're gonna get that one done for sure in this Congress. Of course, we continue to work on the Big Cat Public Safety Act and have put a lot of resources and a ton of time into that bill. We think we're going to see a vote on the U.S. House floor sometime before the August recess. And then we still have an uphill battle in the United States Senate with that legislation. But we're going to keep pressing and hopefully get that enacted in this Congress. Third on the list has been the Minks or Super Spreaders Act. That passed the House of Representatives back in February as a part of the larger package, the America Competes Act. Uh, It was not included in the Senate bill, and that faces an uphill battle. We're fighting against the mink industry, and they have come out really swinging hard. Senator Ron Johnson, who's a terrible anti-animal Republican, uh, even passed a motion through the U.S. Senate to instruct the people who are in the conference, the the members of Congress who are making the final decisions about what stays in the America Competes Act and what doesn't, uh, to instruct them to strip it out. So we know we have some serious challenges ahead, but we have had communication with Speaker Nancy Pelosi's office. I know she's expressed that she was willing to help. So we're really counting a lot on her to help get this done if we're able. We also continue to work for the Horses, uh, the PAST Act, Prevent All Soaring Tactics Act, and SAFE Act, which is Save America's Forgotten Equines Act that would end horse slaughter in the U.S. Both have seen a hearing in the House Energy and Commerce Subcommittee, chaired by Jan Schakowsky, our good friend from Illinois. And we now are looking for a full committee, full Energy and Commerce Committee markup to get those bills out of the committee and onto the House floor and passed before the August recess. It's going to be tight. They've already postponed it. It was supposed to occur this week. So I don't know if we'll actually see this happen and come to fruition before the August recess. And of course, both of those bills face tremendous challenges in the U.S. Senate as well. We continue to work to pass the Bear Protection Act, which is also the Bear Poaching Elimination Act in the U.S. Senate that would address the trade in bear gallbladders. The Chinese government has been advertising bear bile produced by the bear gallbladders as a treatment for COVID-19 with no scientific basis in traditional Chinese medicine. And people are out there poaching these bears and killing them simply for their gallbladders. That bill passed the uh, U.S. Senate by unanimous consent, twice, 20 years ago when Mitch McConnell led the bill, but it never cleared the House because of the late Representative Don Young, who passed away a few months ago. We believe now that we have a good shot at getting this through the House, getting that one done and getting it on the record and fully enforced because it's been dangling in the wind for decades, literally. And then last but not least, we also continued to work on the Animal Cruelty Enforcement Act, the ACE Act, that would create an animal cruelty crimes unit at the Department of Justice. Uh, Congressman Dave Joyce, a Republican from Ohio, offered that as an amendment during the appropriations committee markup. We met opposition from the subcommittee chair of jurisdiction, Matt Cartwright, who's a Democrat from Pennsylvania, and we've really gone after him hard as a result of it. Um, For whatever reason, he does not agree with the policy, and we believe that these laws should be enforced by the Department of Justice. There are so many cruelty laws that have been on the books, some for half a century, that have barely been enforced. This is very, very necessary in order to see these laws enforced and our animals protected in the United States. And we believe that we're probably going to attempt a house for amendment in this regard and try it again, even though we were defeated in committee, because the full house of representatives has a record of voting on this twice before and passing this with at least a minimum of 380 votes. So we feel good about things. I think we're gonna definitely get the FDA bill done, hopefully a couple of the others. And then we're pressing on to the new Congress that'll start in January with some more new legislation and appreciate everyone's support out there for our work and what we're doing.
0: Marty, thanks for that. I appreciate it. Always a great update and uh, keep up the good work. I know you're tireless up there. Uh, One of the things we do work very hard on, one of our key campaigns right now is the modernization of FDA drug testing standards, which currently require the suffering and entail the deaths of countless thousands of animals each year. Key to this modernization and the alleviation of this toll on animals is to eliminate the requirement in the Federal Food, Drug, and Cosmetics Act of 1938 uh, of animal testing as the only test method for any new drug development protocol. The pharmaceutical industry is burdened by an outdated FDA statute system and regulations that bar the use of faster, cheaper, and more reliable test methods. There is urgency to address the problem because between 90 and 95 percent of drugs found safe in pre-clinical trials with these animals fail later during human clinical trials due to toxicities not predicted by traditional animal testing methods. This exposes the public to unacceptable risks and stifles the movement of life-saving drugs into the marketplace. The broader results are extraordinarily high cost for drugs, inordinately long wait periods, bringing drugs to market, and even after the drugs are approved for common use, the potential of serious side effects for consumers. However, significant investments in technology development research have resulted in transformative breakthroughs and alternative methods, Methods, excuse me, enabling us to leave most animal testing Behind, Uh, We have a very special guest. Uh, Wayne is going to set us up for that. But uh, Wayne, um, thanks for being on the show. And tell us uh, about, for example, in this case, the importance of partnering with other organizations to make this monumental change for animals.
2: Well, Joseph, thank you. And what a what a great summary of the FDA Modernization Act. This is bipartisan legislation in both chambers of Congress. Uh, Senators Rand Paul. Kentucky and Cory Booker of New Jersey are leading a Senate bill, uh, S-2952, the FDA Modernization Act, and then in the House, Representative Vern Buchanan of Florida, a Republican, and Elaine Luria, Democrat of Virginia, have the companion bill. And anytime you ask Congress to do something big, you know, in this case to revamp our drug development paradigm, That's really been stuck in place for more than 80 years. You noted the Federal Food Drug and Cosmetics Act adopted in 1938 requires animal testing for all new drug development protocols. Every drug related to cancer, a pain medication, a bone drug, every one you can think of has to go through extensive animal testing, typically involving rodents at the start and then moving on to other mammals such as dogs and primates. So when you ask the congress after, you know, 8 decades to address this issue you better come with a big broad coalition. And our coalition is big and broad. It involves uh, medical associations like the National Medical Association, the National Hispanic Medical Association, biotech groups, some pharma groups, but the group that's been, you know, the groups that have been powering it have been animal welfare groups for sure. Um, and also patient advocacy groups. And really, you know, one of the foundational members of the coalition has been people for the ethical treatment of animals. Everyone knows the group is PETA, uh, has a long history on animal testing, and uh, PETA has been just indispensable in this effort to raise awareness about animal testing, about alternatives, and how we need kind of a reboot in our drug development protocols in the United States. And the FDA Modernization Act really starts that reboot.
0: Well, thank you, Wayne. I, I appreciate that. And uh, it's a very exciting to have someone from PETA on the show. I've been a fan of PETA for years, admire their work, their their strength, their vigor. Uh, so it's uh, a personal excitement to me, and I hope it is for our listeners to be joined today by Kathy Guillermo. As a senior vice president of PETA, Kathy's many duties include heading up the organization's work to end the use of animals in non-required experiments, leading its campaign calling for reform in the horse racing industry overseeing production of the PETA podcast and working with national and international news media to publicize PETA's landmark investigative legal and behind the scenes, corporate work, exposing and ending cruelty to animals in the food experimentation and entertainment industries. So, uh, Kathy, uh, welcome to, to the show. Really grateful you're here. Uh, why don't you start us off by telling us about PETA's role in the modernization of FDA requirements?
3: Thank you. And first, let me just say, I think this is really important legislation. It would seem obvious to the FDA and to many people that when you've got something that fails 95% of the time, as development of drugs does, that they would be seeking another way to do it. Since the FDA has not been persuaded by the simple statistics, clearly we needed some kind of legislation to push them along. So giving them that statutory authority and removing the mandate for animal tests is really crucial, I think. Um, we've worked to let our grassroots members know, our supporters around the United States, to send emails, um, phone calls, get the attention of the legislators, urge them to support it. And we've worked with some health advocacy groups and medical supports group to support it as well.
0: Maybe you can correct me or affirm what I've been telling some friends about FDA modernization is true. Is it the case that the COVID vaccines were brought to market quickly because they were allowed to bypass the animal testing phase? Have I been telling folks an Internet rumor unwittingly?
3: No, I think that's mostly correct. I mean, we were in need of something very quickly. And when our federal agencies had their backs up against the wall, they figured out a way to do it. So they they created the Coronavirus Treatment Acceleration Program. And they didn't entirely dispense with the tests on animals, but they ran them concurrently with the human tests. So this is in an interesting sort of way, sets up a way to compare one to the other. But the important thing is it was an acknowledgement that in the end, the humans are the test subjects of these, of these drugs anyway. So we should be embracing the better, more modern methods that are going to be actually applicable to humans.
0: All right. Well, very, very good. Tell me about the scope of the animal usage. Uh, Wayne mentioned a couple of mammals. What kinds of animals are used for these medical, these drug tests? Uh, and, and how many, what kinds and how many?
3: Yeah, you know, it's it's hard to know exactly how many because the pharmaceutical companies don't have to report all of that information. There are two kinds of testing that that's going on. There's the research and development. They use a variety of species for that. Um, And then there's the efficacy uh, testing and safety testing. So I guess I just said three kinds of animal use, not two, but they're used in in different ways. I I think, and and Wayne can possibly speak to this even better than I, but I, I think we look at the importation of primates, for example, the use of monkeys in testing. And they're coming to this country by the tens of thousands a year, 5,000 we know of into John F. Kennedy Airport since March alone. And a lot of those monkeys are going directly into pharmaceutical testing. So you've got the requirement that two so-called higher mammals be used in drug development testing. This would be dogs, monkeys, pigs, as well as many millions of rats, mice, other smaller animals.
2: Yeah. And and Joseph, I'm, I'm very happy that Kathy used that that numeric term millions because i think it's important for our listeners to understand the scale of this you know there are many forms of animal testing many of us are familiar with cosmetic testing on animals and now many of the companies in this sphere now have a little insignia you know saying not tested on animals because we know that there's a moral problem with using animals And we all in society, even the research community and the testing community, accept the notion embodied in something called the three R's, refining, reducing, and replacing the use of animals in tests, accepting that if there's an alternative, then you should use it. With drug development, we're talking about a requirement to use animals, even if you have an alternative, which really undercuts the whole notion of the three R's. But we have cosmetic testing, we have pesticide testing on animals, chemical testing on animals, you know, basic research. But drugs, think of all the drugs that are in use in our health system. Look at the television and see all of the commercials for new drugs. You think about all of these major pharmaceutical companies, 30 plus of them with a global footprint doing drug development work. Think of academic institutions, you know, universities that are doing important work in their mind in terms of, of drug development. They've got to use animals under the law. Think of the government agencies, the NIH, and all of the other alphabet soup of agencies, they're doing drug development work. So when you add it all up, it's millions and millions of animals used globally for drug development. And the United States, as you know, one of the biggest research and testing countries in the world has a law that says you must use animals. This takes years. And just to go back to this point that you started with in terms of the the vaccine to deal with the coronavirus, coronavirus crisis, the pandemic, I mean, the average drug development protocol takes 10 to 15 years. Imagine if we had to wait 10 to 15 years for the vaccine. I mean, this is a crisis for people who have medical conditions that are terminal or they have other conditions that are you know causing them great pain and suffering it's a long time to wait the animals drag out this process the whole system is so flawed it's so expensive it's so slow it's so non-predictive of the human response we need a reset and that's why the fda modernization act is such an important bill
0: All right. Thank you. Thank you, Weena. Well said. Um, Kathy, it's one thing to get rid of animal testing, but what about those safeguards? I mean, 95% still is 5% accurate. What is on the horizon technologically that will make sure our drugs are safe?
3: Well, just one point about that 5%. As our scientists at PETA have discovered, of the 5% that actually seem to appear effective and safe in clinical trials and human tests, half of those have to be withdrawn for unexpected adverse effects. So you're really looking at more of a 2% to 3% success rate. So when, when you were talking about look at all the drugs on the market and all the animals, those represent who've had this miserable, deadly experience inside a lab, think about 97% more <laughs> than. Than we're seeing on the market. Fortunately, there are really wonderful methods that are faster, easier, relevant to human beings. And I think a lot of this grew out of our initial work on cosmetics testing, because when we demanded, when consumers demanded that cosmetics not be tested on animals, they had to come up with other ways to do it. That sparked an entire industry of non-animal methods. And, and I give you know the pharmaceutical companies some credit here too, because they want to do what's going to work if they're legally allowed to do it. So we're looking at the, the most touted right now, organs on a chip, when they're put together, when they're strung together, and you'll forgive my non-scientific language, but when they're strung together, they can create an entire human body system. Some of the supercomputers right now that are being used can yield incredible data. On the possible effect of what's going to happen with human beings there are some ways that can be tested with humans with tiny microdosing of medication or use of human cells and other ways too those are just a few of them i mean i i, I think it's kind of limitless but if we're go- going to keep putting money into an 80 year old drug testing paradigm and ignore what's happened to science in the last seven or eight decades I think we're really doing Americans and animals a huge disservice.
2: Well, and I think just to to play off Kathy's comment there, you know, really the lesson in terms of that very high failure rate and not getting the translation from the results of the animal tests really being applicable and predictive of the human response to the drugs is we should be using human-based biology. And now we have so many of these human-based biological systems, these microphysiological systems like kidney on a chip and lung on a chip that Kathy alluded to, we're going to see great innovation. I mean, really what the bill is about, the FDA Modernization Act, is both kind of moral purpose and scientific purpose. When you recognize that animal testing comes with moral problems, and then you put human creativity to work in order to find a better way to do drug testing for safety and efficacy. Purposes, then we've got we've got just a great future circumstance for us that we can have drugs uh, that do help relieve people's conditions, that do provide cures, that have fewer side effects, and that don't leave a trail of animal victims in our wake. I mean, that's what all of us, with the government, uh, with the pharma industry, and animal welfare groups, agree on. I mean, everyone has embraced this three R's framework. And the third R is replacement. So if we can replace animals with non-animal methods, we've all agreed that we should do it, but we've been encumbered by the law and that's why we've got to change it with the FDA Modernization Act.
0: Thank you. And Kathy, you, you said you weren't a scientist, but I'm going to ask you a scientific question anyway, and that is help our listeners understand, please, what we mean when we say kidney on a chip right uh what does that actually mean
3: yeah well you're, you're going to tax my scientific knowledge here this is why I have a staff of about you know at PETA we have about 25 scientists so that they can answer these questions but but essentially inside these microfluidic chips are cells that can mimic the same reaction that we might see if a substance were run through an actual human kidney in a human body it can mimic the response of the kidney cells to whatever substance is being tested.
0: So, Kathy, it's it's probably a safe assumption then to say that uh, corporations would probably be uh, a willing ally. I I know we've talked about having a lot of corporate support on this, but it would seem to me that if they can obviate animal testing, uh, they can save costs, go to market faster, that there would be a huge profit incentive in displacing these 1938 requirements.
3: I think ultimately that will be the case. It's tricky. We've done quite a bit of work with medical device companies, for example, and we have seen them innovate and seen them advocate for non-animal methods at the FDA level, only to be told more data needed, more data needed. We, we have to get the FDA out of this mindset, which is why I think this bill is important because it commands them to get out of that mindset. I mean, if you think about it, when we listen to the radio, we're not listening to the radio created in 1945. You know, we're not doing surgery on human beings with scalpels that were invented and, and suture material invented 50 years ago. All of those areas of science and technology have evolved. So this must also be allowed to evolve and that evolution must be accepted by the FDA. To, 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 to your point about the companies. It would only make sense for them to do what is the most efficient and will yield the most precise data for their human customers.
0: Now, one thing you work with at PETA, and one thing that's been, I think, critical in news headlines relative to this lately, has been your work understanding the abuses at InVigo, uh, a testing facility where your organization helped uncover some really horrific uh, events and conditions. Tell us about InVigo, what you learned, and why that bears directly to our subject today.
3: You know, one thing I think most people haven't necessarily considered is that when we look at an agency like, like the FDA and we question, why are you stuck in the old science? We have to think also there's a multi-billion dollar industry that underlies the use of animals and experimentation. They have a vested interest in keeping it going. They have lobbyists on the Hill too. You know They, they are very interested in furthering their own profit-making ability. And one of those companies is a company called Invigo. And we did an undercover investigation at their beagle breeding facility in Cumberland, Virginia. We released it last year. This is a massive supplier of beagles to the experimentation industry. Um, They supply to industry, to universities, to the national institutes of health, to the FDA. And we found just, uh, I mean, I can't call it anything other than an Abu Ghraib for dogs. I mean, 5,000 beagles crammed into this facility with basically one vet who was there some of the time, untrained personnel conducting procedures on the dogs, open wounds, dogs fighting from the stress of being together, um, puppies who were receiving no decent veterinary care for their issues, who fell down between slats in the floor and were never found and died there. I mean, it was, it was incredibly disturbing. Uh, but, you know, this is a huge multi-billion dollar company. They couldn't staff this facility with veterinarians in decent care for these dogs. Our investigation set off a chain of events that we've never really seen happen. Uh, First with passing five pieces of legislation unanimously in the Virginia legislature, uh, and that the the many USDA violations led to the Department of Justice becoming involved in doing a search and seizure and filing suit against Invigo. And just this week, the court has ordered that all 4,000 of those beagles must be released to be made available for adoption, and Envigo is going to close. To your point, I think it's incredibly important because, you know, these animals don't just appear in the the pharmaceutical testing company. They start in misery, and they go to misery, and it's all for really pointless, wasteful, cruel science.
2: And and Joe, let me just underscore... Yeah, let me just underscore if I may. I mean, I think what PETA's investigation has done is shown that the suffering begins before the animals get into the laboratory. We think of the animals subjected to painful tests and we think, my God, you know, we would never tolerate that sort of treatment of our dogs in our lives. These are the same kinds of creatures that we love in our homes and that we take care of and that we are extremely protective of. We would fight to defend them uh, from someone who would hurt them, and I think what Pete has done is thrown back the curtain on this whole sector of this this breeding um, uh, apparatus that exists to supply these millions of animals to laboratories. And you know, I have a beagle uh, adopted, rescued from Virginia, and uh, she came to us in terrible shape. We don't know her backstory. We don't know if she came from a lab or from a puppy mill or she was a discarded hunting dog not sure but i can tell you that she's so trusting uh she's so vulnerable you know you can kind of manipulate her and move her around and she tolerates so much and that's precisely why the beagles are used because they're so compliant and they're so trusting and then to put them in a situation where they're going to be harmed uh when you know we really have better science Uh, when this whole drug development paradigm, you know, is producing expensive drugs for us that are often not safe for us. I mean, how many of us, how many politicians talk about high drug prices? This is one explanation for high drug prices. You know, when you watch these commercials on TV, you hear about this laundry list of side effects. How is this drug development paradigm working when you have to be warned? about this incredible list of adverse reactions that could result from your taking the drug so I, I just think that this investigation that Peter did was so important and uh, I'm, I'm grateful to to them and I'm grateful that the United States you know government got involved as well and that the courts have now uh, directed that these animals are not going to go to a lab they're going to go to loving homes and what a great turnaround in the lives of these creatures who we're on a direct path to, to misery before this happened.
3: Well, that's Kathy, a, it's a good point about the legislators involved too. We know Senators Kane and, and Warner were two of the most active and a number of representatives sent a letter to the USDA as well, seeking some kind of decent way out for these animals. And the Department of Justice, just incredible work.
0: Good. Kathy, how can our listeners help if they want to foster or adopt one of these dogs? Is PETA helping coordinate the adoption? What can we do if someone out in our audience wants one of these dogs?
3: We are helping with that. And as you can imagine, it's a massive task and there will be information on our website and on our social media just as soon as we're able to finalize the plans and get that up there.
0: All right. Very good. Uh, Thank you for that, Kathy. Wayne, tell us about the nuts and bolts of getting this done. Where is Uh, the legislation, what happens next, and uh, also thinking of action for our audience. What can our listeners do to further things along from that
2: end? Well, we're not done, and uh, this Congress is is winding to a close. We're three-quarters of the way through. Uh, This Congress ends its work at the end of this year, Uh, and there are some big events uh, between now and then that are going to interrupt their work. There's a long August recess into Labor Day, where lawmakers are going back to campaign for the small election. In November, we have the elections and you know, in the weeks before, the lawmakers are going to be tied up with that. So we, we don't have many weeks left of actual work time in the Congress. We're in a pretty good position with the legislation. The underlying bills, H.R. 2565 and S. 2952, they're both termed the FDA Modernization Act. Again, the language is similar in both the house and the senate eliminating this 84 year old mandate for animal testing for all new drug development protocols the good news is there's larger fda related legislation that is on a track to be passed in this congress the core of that has to do with funding of the fda through a user fee program with the pharma companies so our allies in the Congress have attached our bill as a rider to these larger bills. And that rider has been accepted in the Senate uh, committee that has jurisdiction on these issues. It's called the Health, Education, Labor and Pensions Committee. And then the House, its committee that has jurisdiction, the Energy and Commerce Committee included the rider and the House then passed the entire bill, uh, including the FDA Modernization Act. So now the House and the Senate have to reconcile differences in these larger bills, and hopefully they'll do that soon, come back to the House and Senate to pass the entire package. And we're hoping that the FDA Modernization Act continues to hold a very secure place in that legislation. I think the most important thing, Joseph, that every person who's concerned about beagles and primates and pigs and rabbits and uh, mice and rats and all of the other animals who are used in extraordinary numbers for drug development—it's now time for them to raise their voices. To contact your two U.S. senators, to contact your U.S. representative, to let friends know about this legislation, forwarding alerts from Animal Wellness Action or or PETA.org, and alerting them uh, to contact their lawmakers to co-sponsor these bills, demand. That the FDA Modernization Act gets enacted this year. Again, you know, if you're an animal advocate, it's great to be aware. It's great uh, to talk to people about these problems, but it's also important to act when you've got a legislative opportunity. And we have an incredible opportunity to pass this legislation before the summer ends. So I'm hoping that everyone will take the information imparted on this podcast and don't wait another minute. Contact your lawmakers. You can call 202-224-3121 and urge them to co-sponsor the FDA Modernization Act. And again, if you want details, you can go to our websites, animalwellnessaction.org, PETA.org, to find out the precise details. We have sample letters if you want to go through the websites and then send an actual detailed letter urging lawmakers uh, to, to enact this specific legislation or to support this legislation on its way to enactment.
0: And I'll put some links in the show notes where people can find that phone number and also a link where people can be connected immediately to the kind of letter you describe, which will, based on your, your zip code and geo-targeting uh, go, go to the right people right away. Kathy, if we're successful here, what comes next? Where can we take the momentum with the technology we now have to spare more animals through other endeavors?
3: Well, I, I think in Peter's view, we roll up our sleeves and we get to work. You know, we, we, we begin to work with pharmaceutical companies and with the FDA, and we push through now what must follow, which is that the FDA has to act on the removal of that mandate.
0: Okay, very good. And and what other kinds of industries where testing is required, do you see easy or easier wins once we tackle the pharmaceutical issue? Is it is it cosmetics? Uh, is there more to be done there? Uh, what do you see? related that this technology can be used to help animals with.
3: Yeah, I think that's a good point. Um, We do quite a bit of work with the Environmental Protection Agency already with their mandated testing. I think the medical device industry to a certain extent can benefit from this. And certainly on the university level, the NIH funded research that's done there. If animals can be replaced for this kind of testing by the FDA, they can in many cases be replaced at the university level too
0: all right very good wayne
2: Joseph, i was just going to say that you know the the law is so important but then there's got to be this implementation phase and this is what we've learned in all of our work at animal wellness action that you're not done when you pass the law the law is so important but we've got to get fda to accept uh these these alternative methods put them to use allow the pharmaceutical companies to submit data uh, from these alternative methods And that's going to involve a lot of work with FDA. It's going to allow, um, uh, you know, they've got to allow the pharmaceutical companies to act in a way that is consistent with the purposes of this legislation. And that is going to require some pressure as well. I mean, the leadership at FDA uh, needs to to get with the program of 21st century science. And uh, a lot of inertia exists. A lot of people have been doing this with animals for a long time. And they think, well, this is the only way to do it. You just have to kind of break that 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 mindset and and really have scientists think about new ways of doing the work. That is really the essence of science, is experimentation and new pathways. And that's really what we're seeking here is a new pathway.
0: Kathy, I'll turn it over to you for uh, final thoughts. Anything I've not asked that you uh, would like to address?
3: Well, I think you, you've covered it very well. I think as always in, in PETA's world, it's our supporters and the people who care about animals who really make the difference. So if anybody's listening and they haven't yet contacted their legislators, I really urge them to do so. And don't don't think for one second that your voice doesn't matter. A call to your legislator's local office, to the DC office, an email, it's all counted and it all matters.
2: Joseph, th- thank you for for. Covering the topic on the podcast, it's great to have Kathy Guillermo involved, and you know you're both very informed on these issues. But it's not up to you, Kathy, and it's not up to you, Joe. It's up to all of us. We all have to be participants here. We all have a voice. We all have power on this topic. So please don't delay. Get involved in this campaign. Make make your phone calls. Write your letters. Be a participant in animal advocacy. Here you have an incredible opportunity to do what I think is the most important legislative policy in the history of the country on animal testing. We've got this opportunity right now.
0: For more information, uh, listeners can go to AnimalWellnessAction.org. And listeners, I want to thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Be sure to visit AnimalWellnessAction.org for all of our news and information and to sign up for our news alerts. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter, and we invite you to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or Spotify. I'm your host, Joseph Grove, and we'll be back soon with another episode of the Animal Wellness Podcast.